You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board. My name is Jay Mack, and I am in my bunker in St. Louis. Hey, and this is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles, uh, where it's still daylight. I see that it's always night. It's always night in my bunker, Sam. This week's show is going to be kind of, I mean, uh, some of it's kind of spooky, so maybe it's appropriate that I'm down here in this dark space. I would like to remind our listeners that a new episode of Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board drops every Wednesday. Check it out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find Two Tape Decks. Just Google it, too. We've got a Facebook page. Love getting messages. Love getting feedback. I would like to say a very nice shout-out to our to our listener, Scott. Uh, he, he messaged me, and he said he loved the new show, the way that, that it's sounding. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so what's up, Scott? Thanks for listening. Hey, Scott. What's up? And also, I'd like to remind our listeners that every Saturday, we got something called a B-side, which drops, which is kind of like an outtake or something that may not may not fit into the show proper, but it's, it's maybe a squirrely side discussion we get into. Those are really fun to do. I love dropping those on our guests. Sam, what are we talking about this week? J-Mac, I thought it would be a really interesting thing to talk about rock, legends, and myths. You know what I mean? Like some of these crazy things. When We just finished uh, uh, an Icons uh, episode about Radiohead. And in that episode, we talked just a little bit about how there is this maybe legendary idea that you can intermingle in rainbows and and uh, okay computer into one mega album and it and it reminded me of like dark side of the moon and like you know the wizard of oz is that actually true but there's actually some rock myths that are out there that are kind of larger than life or that were these crazy things and i just thought it'd be fun to pick a few of those out and kind of talk about them i agree i love the mystery some of the some of the things we're going to talk about um can be confirmed as real, but they sound made up. Some of the things we're talking about are are, are obviously very strange, far-flung conspiracy theories. Doesn't mean they're not fun to talk about. Doesn't mean they're necessarily not even some truth to it. Well, usually the best uh, lie has a little bit of truth, right? Yeah. So you want me to start off this episode? I've got I've got probably the quintessential lead-off to all rock and roll myths. It goes back a ways. Well, I, you know, you you have my interest peak, so hit me. We've all heard the the phrase "the devil at the crossroads." Yeah. That goes back to uh, a, a blues guy named Robert Johnson. So this story comes to us from the mid to late '30s, and of course, I'm I know you're familiar with this, but I'm just going to kind of re restate it for our listeners. Robert Johnson was a blues player, and back then, blues was considered to be devil's music. Churches it would throw you out if you played blues. It was considered very evil, wayward music because it was about partying and dancing and having a good time. And so Robert Johnson apparently was down on his luck and he went to the crossroads. It was like four roads that met in the deep south. Okay. And he bowed down to pray and and allegedly Satan appeared to him. Lucifer appeared to him and he promised him musical greatness, that he would be like a musical legend if he sold his soul to him and then that's when apparently i guess the deed was done 
he returned a short time later to the town where he had been just so ostracized and marginalized. And he had added a, he had added a seventh string to his guitar, which was odd. He played like nobody else, and he became a musical god. And uh, even Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. I mean, he, this guy. I think he only had like twenty something recordings. There's only two known pictures of him. Yeah, this was really in a time period where it wasn't common for that kind of stuff. He lived in the shadows, and the odd thing was that after making a deal with the devil, I think it was a year later thereabouts, he died from being poisoned because apparently the two things in life that he loved were whiskey and women. And apparently he picked uh, a woman who had a beau or a boyfriend and I guess made a pass at her or something. And he was handed a bottle of poisoned whiskey. He died in, in agony, like out in the street. I don't know what category to put that in. I mean, it sounds like a Tenacious D song. I think that might be where they get the idea for tribute. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It definitely sounds like that setup of, you know, making it. Well, I guess it's become a legendary thing since then, though, making a deal with the devil. I mean, it's been made into films and all parts of parts of media. It's very Faustian. goes back to that. Yeah, I mean, and there's something there's something creepy about this guy at a dark street corner. And the devil comes to him and says, I will make you a mu- give you great musical abilities if you yeah. sell your soul to me. Uh, so that always kind of captured my imagination. I know it captured Keith Richards because sure. I think Keith Richards actually went and visited the crossroads. It's like it's like a pilgrimage place. I mean, I don't here's the thing. I don't think they actually knew where this actually happened at. There was very little known about Robert Johnson. He, other than his life was pretty hard and tragic. But through the mist of time, we're left with this really creepy, eerie story, which I, I love. I mean, I'm a fan of creepy stuff like this. It's pretty cool because it's it's really become a part of of, uh, of American folklore and really lo- rock and roll uh, lore as well. Like it's it's one of those legendary stories of like the 21st century, right around the whole really the birth of the recording industry too. You know, makes a lot of sense. Right? Do I do I believe it happened? No, I don't. But I love the story. I, I mean, great story. Part of me. Part of me wishes it happened because it, it's so cool. Like I said, I see the Tenacious D video with the demon peers on the road. <laughs> it's a great way to start it off, J Mac. And it actually makes me think of a story that I wanted to share that's it's it's just as un, unprovable. Maybe a little bit more um, facts could be, you know, surrounded around this thing. But this is even kind of like a deep cut legend of rock and roll. Okay. Are you ready for this one? Lay it on me, brother. Okay, so some of our listeners, um, you know, hopefully most of our listeners um, would have heard of this guy named Phil Keggy. Okay, so he's still around. He's still uh, making music, and he is one really one of the best guitarists in the in the business. And he's kind of like a, a guitarist, uh, guitarist, uh, and he he plays amazing uh, lead guitar, but he also is like a, an incredible fingerstyle guitarist. And this guy's been around for a while. I mean, he's been a part of the business um, since the 60s. Uh, he was in a band uh, called Glass Harp that uh, broke in the in the late 60s, early 70s. They played with everybody. Um, there's a record of them at uh, Carnegie Hall. And then he but he's not like this huge legendary artist that like anybody on the street would know. OK, but there is this kind of he has this reputation of being really amazing guitarist at what he does. And one of the legends that surrounds him is this thing where apparently when Jimi Hendrix was still with us, 
Um, there's this story that Jimi Hendrix said that he was like the greatest guitar player. And there's some variations on, on how this went down. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah, I love I love Phil Keggy and I, I've not fully heard this myth or this legend. So I, I'm I'm interested to hear what you're gonna lay on me. Yeah. So there's this there's this idea um that Jimi Hendrix well, one of the stories is that he was on the the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson asks him who the best guitar player in the world is. And instead of saying myself or someone else, um, it goes that he said, I don't know, uh, you know, that's Phil Keggy. He's an up and coming guitarist in the Midwest or, or something like that. There's also a story that there was like he might have been on the Dick Cavett show and they asked, you know, what it felt to be like the greatest guitar player in the world. And his answer was like, I don't know. Ask Phil Keggy. <laughs> OK, now this is really, really, you know, fairly hard to prove. Um, cause I know like a lot of times, you know, TV shows, interviews, they didn't save their tapes. Um, but you know, I think as it turns out, Jimi Hendrix was only on the, on the tonight show one time and, uh, no mention of glass Harper, anything like that was made. Oh man. I was, I was hoping I was, I was hoping this was real. Well, it, you know, it's, it's one of those ones like the Robert Johnson tale that you can't quite prove, but here's where it really goes off the, off the rails. There's one version of the story, which is probably my favorite one. Okay, so Phil Keggy, on his right hand, he's missing half of his middle finger, okay? Oh, and, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and it looks, so it really stands out when you watch him play, and it's his, his like, it's his, his, his picking hand and his finger-picking hand, so it's amazing that he can do what he does with really only four fingers. Um, but the story is that there was a bet made between him and Jimi Hendrix on... That oh, he was God, the greatest guitar player in the world. So in order to prove that he was the greatest, he probably in a drunken stupor cut off half of his middle finger to prove that he could still play better than Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> uh, I love that story. I don't see Phil Keggy cutting off a finger, though. But No, it, I mean, and actually, this one can be dis disproved, this part of the story for sure. What actually happened was he he grew up um, on a on a farm in Youngstown, uh, Ohio, uh, when he was, uh, four years old, he was climbing on, um, the water pump outside. Right. And the platform collapsed. And when it did, the handle of the pump came down and severed his finger at four years old. Can you imagine? Well, that's a lot less sexy than him getting drunk and cutting off his finger in some kind of blazing guitar <laughs> duel <laughs> it is and you know and uh and glass because this, this story started when like glass harp was 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 still around phil keggy's gone on to be like this you know really um legendary uh ccm uh artist and star in that in that genre um, but he was with uh, glass harp at the time and you know their press agents didn't like really go out to deny the story either because it was good like grassroots you know marketing People are going to be like, oh, my God, I got to hear who this Phil Keggy guy is. Yeah. And you know what? There's even variations of the story that involve Eric Clapton and uh, Eddie Van Halen. So it's obvious that this didn't happen with Jimi Hendrix. Phil Keggy himself said they were they actually recorded Glass Harp's first album at at uh, Electric Ladyland Studios. Um, but it was like two weeks after Jimmy's death. And there's really no way that that he could have even known who this guy was. But it's still a great legend. Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize there was that much to it. I love that. That's kind of a, I, I, that's a great story. Are you ready to hear my number two? Yeah, man. Okay, well, anybody who knows me knows I'm a fan of heavy metal. I have, have been my whole life. One of the, the godfather of, I guess you could say the godfather of heavy metal is Ozzy Osbourne. Now I'm going to drop a little Ozzy story on you here. Now, 
I'm just going to, I'm going to right off the bat say this has 100% been proven to actually have happened, which makes it even more jacked up. Okay. In 1982, he was on stage, I believe in Des Moines, Iowa. And somebody threw what he believed was to uh, to believe to be was a toy bat on stage. Oh. Which he, I've seen interviews where he said people came to Black Sabbath shows and Ozzy Osbourne shows with all kinds of weird manner of shit, uh, dressed up weird. So, so uh, like a toy bat being thrown on the stage was not that odd. I mean, I guess it maybe it happened before toy animals, whatever. Well, Ozzy, I'm, I'm assuming I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say he was probably on some kind of drugs or something. <laughs> it's pretty well documented that Ozzy Osbourne did everything possible. Yeah. So the legend goes that he grabbed the bat that what he believed to be the toy bat bit the head off of it after chomping into it, realized when the blood started spurting out that it was a real bat and was promptly taken to uh, a hospital for rabies shots, I guess, after the show. Now, on the surface, this would sound like there's no way, no, nobody would do that. Well, I'm just going to drop a little science on you here. That's not the first time Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off of something. Okay. There was a meeting at, I believe it was CBS, CBS Records. And this was about a year earlier, and they were trying to promote, I guess, the Blizzard of Oz. And they went to a meeting, him and Sharon, which is his wife, went to a meeting of the record company, trying to, like, put some good vibes out. You know, maybe, maybe like, get this little schmooze a little bit. Well, Ozzy got bored, and, uh, like, there was there were some doves on a table that were supposed to be, I guess, symbols of peace, or, like, they were going to release them or something. Ozzy got bored. He had drank, I believe, uh, he drank a whole bottle of brandy before the meeting. Which is no excuse. No. And he he grabbed the dove, bit one of the heads off. The lady next to him started screaming, so he grabbed the next dove, bit the other head off. That's pretty screwed up, dude. Don't do drugs, kids. Once again, sounds made up. Yeah, that sounds crazy. That's true? It's it's absolutely true. I've seen Ozzy in interviews. And here's the thing, dude. I kind of... I can kind of see the bite in the, the bat head because you think maybe it's a toy and you're just... It's, it's a prop. Right. But when you when you hear the backstory that he actually did that to two live, I guess doves. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no excuse, Ozzy. Bad Ozzy, down Ozzy, go to the corner, Ozzy. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of doing that to the to those animals either. But uh, that is a crazy rock story. Well, actually, years later, he did a photo shoot with his with a dove and it's he we had his hair all slicked back i'm sure people have seen the picture and he's got a dove in his hand and he's petting it with this horrible look on his face um so i i don't even know if he's ashamed of it at this point doesn't sound like he is i wonder if he remembers it (laughs) i think he probably remembers people telling him the story i mean yeah well that's that's pretty that's a crazy rock story i wasn't there something that was similar with like Alice Cooper? Uh, yes, this was actually not as bad because somebody put a chicken on the stage. I think this was 1969. So this was about 12 years before Ozzy did his shit. Okay. Somebody let a chicken loose on the stage and uh, Alice being Alice grabbed the chicken and threw it into the crowd. And what did they do? The, the crowd ripped the chicken up. Wow. Just completely dismembered it. And apparently uh, he, he was horrified. He was horrified at what had happened. Yeah. Unlike Ozzy, who thought it was awesome. I guess maybe not the bat, but yeah. So I, I think Alice, even though, I mean, Alice Cooper, alleged, I mean, not allegedly, he did a lot of drugs, probably as many as Ozzy Osbourne for a while. But Ozzy, what he did, he did it on purpose. 
Alice Cooper didn't really, he just threw the chicken in the crowd. Who would have thought that a heavy metal crowd would have ripped a chicken to part? Yeah, he probably thought it was going to crowd surf, but it didn't. (laughs) That is crazy. Once again, true story, sound made up, absolutely true. Well, I'm going to bring up one that I actually was able to dig quite a bit up on. Are we going to get deep here, Sam? We're going to get a little deep um, into some Beatles lore, which we like to do from time to time on this show. And I don't really know how many people nowadays really even know much about how big of a deal and con- and of conspiracy this this thing was I'm about to bring up, or really just how how insanely popular the Beatles were and the way that they, that culture was influenced by their their presence, you know, let alone their music. And uh, this was like at the height of what was called Beatlemania. It, it, you know, there was a there was a moment, I think it was in 1966, when John Lennon talked about the Beatles being more popular than Jesus, which ended up with like record burnings here in the in, in the States and crazy things like that. But these these guys were like a huge, huge band and really big, uh, really huge in, uh, influencers of their time. And this conspiracy theory started to uh, permeate through the fans okay and there was this idea that uh, in 1966 Paul McCartney died and was replaced by a lookalike dude this is this is really bizarre and and people actually believe this right I'm, I'm assuming it got some traction yeah it, it actually really did and you know it's not too crazy to imagine that some people could get on this I mean look at how how much a part of pop culture conspiracy theories are now, you know, I'm not even going to touch that politically right now. People know where that could go really quickly, but it's, it's uh, this is one of those things where it's like a groundswell. It's like an old wives tale. And this story started to happen at the beginning of when media culture really was starting to kick in. Like the Beatles were able to release records simultaneously around the world and and there was all kinds of things centered around this. So they had a huge millions and millions and millions of fans. Right. And there was this story. Um, this actually this this whole scenario of, of Paul is dead is how it's how it's typically you know, re- referred to. Um, this whole idea that Paul is dead um, actually started in January 1967 before it blew up to the to worldwide news. But there was a rumor that um, that after uh, all this bad weather that it hit London, that there was reports that Paul McCartney had died in a car crash. And it just kind of started spreading from there. Um, but it really wasn't actually until 1969 um, when a DJ in Detroit named Russ Gibb um, got this caller on a show and told um, the audience to listen to uh, Revolution Number no. 9 on the White Album, but play it backwards. Okay. Oh, which, which you know that's going to go. That you could you could find anything in that song. It's my yeah. son. My nine year old son calls that the weird song. <laughs> it is a weird song. It is definitely like this avant garde song, and it just spiraled from there, dude. So just to, you know, I'm going to bring up some of these clues, and we'll just I'll, I'll try to hit on these as as quickly as possible. And there's this thing goes deep, but so for example, Revolution Number no. Nine is this track where John Lennon and and uh, I think Yoko Ono was on it. They're just going number nine number nine and there's this weird sounds in the background well this is getting into this idea of backwards masking where you take your album and you play it backwards on your turntable and you hear messages from the devil or like easter eggs hidden and backwards on it and we'll do a whole episode we could do a whole whole episode about these things right and we will oh my god yes we could yes 
but this is where this is this is like one of those first things like that so when you play him saying number nine backwards people say it sounds like he's saying turn me on dead man if you play it backwards yeah if you play it backwards it sounds like he's saying turn me on dead man i'm which... gonna have to do that now i'm gonna have to do that now i've, I've never i've I didn't. I didn't realize that was part of the myth. I'm. I'm gonna do that now. Yeah, you. You got to. You got to go and try that. It, there. There. There's another hidden clue that was like this hidden clue, right? That was found later on the on the the same record on the White Album. On I'm so tired. At the end, he's like saying something at the end, and I, I forget what it is. But if you play that backwards, it's John Lennon actually saying, um, "Paul is dead, man. Miss him. Miss him." Okay, so you can see this starts to become this thing where people are looking for clues everywhere. And the mother load of all of the clues, dude, is in the in the Sgt. Pepper record. Okay. And I'm gonna focus on that one here for a second. So on the on the front cover, just remind our listeners, if you've never seen Sgt. Pepper's, which I think you probably have, but if you never have, that's the one that has like, you know, a hundred different people in the background and they're dressed in like uh marching band costumes, and it's really crazy and colorful. On the front there's a drum skin that says the Beatles or says Sergeant Pepper's only hearts club band. If you take a mirror, okay. Then you see where this is going. If you take oh, a mirror God. and you hold it up to the middle of the drum skin, it takes the letters and inverts them and turns them into other characters. Kind of like, like an old mad magazine where you'd fold the back cover and it make like a different picture. Yeah. And what it's supposed to say is one, uh, one, one, he die one. <laughs> So it's this hidden message, apparently. Yeah. Have you done this? I've tried it. It, you know, it kind of look. It, it kind of looks like it, right? Like it, this is like where it starts to get really, <laughs> Which really. Which means sketchy. it doesn't. No, I mean, there's so much on this album. Like, like when you, when you, when you open the middle cover, um, all four of them are sitting in the in their um, really fancy costumes, and on Paul McCartney's arm is uh, is a patch that says O P D. And people were like, see, it's a black band on his arm. And it says officially pronounced dead. <laughs> but really what it is, it's like it's a patch from the Ontario Provincial Police that they, someone just their costume designer found it, thought it looked cool and slapped it on there. So, I mean, obviously, Paul McCartney is alive. He's been he just released a new record at the beginning of this year that he recorded in quarantine. Um, he's you know, he's toured the world many times over since this but this was like freaking some people out there was like all these other clues and they would start looking for these solutions um on the back cover of sergeant pepper there's a spot where okay well so all four of them are on the back cover and only ringo john and george are facing forward but paul mccartney oh, that's right around. that's right paul's facing back he's you can see the back of his head uh-huh and george has his finger and he's pointing really weird and he's pointing oh. right at the lyrics for She's Leaving Home <laughs> on the one phrase that says Wednesday morning at five o'clock. People are like, see, that's when he died. He died on Wednesday morning at five o'clock. And the guy that they're talking about who blew his mind out in a car on a, on a day in the life, that's Paul McCartney. See, they're trying to let people know that they actually did this and that Paul McCartney is really dead. And this is an imposter. And we're going to go like through all of their catalog from now and find all of these clues like on rubber soul they're looking down into a grave and the reason that they did the butcher cover for uh yesterday and today is that they were showing that you know he had a severed head and in this car crash and it just it goes there's so much dude like you could spend an hour or two just looking through all the clues but the ultimate one that it comes to is on the cover of abbey road 
their last album. And on that, Paul McCartney's not wearing any shoes, see? Because they don't always put shoes on corpses in a casket. So they're saying this, and, he, and he's also walking out of step with everybody. And so John Lennon is wearing a white suit. So he must be like the heavenly symbol. And, and Ringo's in front of him, and he's dressed like an undertaker. And George is in the back in a, in a, in a Canadian tuxedo, all in denim. And he must be the grave digger and Paul McCartney's the, the corpse. And they're, they're still trying to tell people this is not really him. I mean, dude, people like really, really got into this theory. I'm going to go back a little bit. You said this started in January of 67. Well, as you know, the Beatles took like they stopped touring. And from, I believe, Revolver was 66, probably fall. And the Beatles basically disappeared for almost uh, it was it was quite a while before Sgt. Pepper came out by their standards. Months. Of course, now people do albums every three or four years, but the Beatles were cranking out things constantly. There were there were months like three and a months year. Where they, yeah, and, and so the, so that was a really long period of time for them to not put out an album. Yeah. Uh, so I could see how that maybe that would have got the wheels turning. Maybe something's going on. <laughs> Great press too, and you know. Uh, and then John Lennon got on board with it, by the way, and started oh, he did? like, yeah, he started like being like, well, I'll give him some clues, right? Because they thought it was hilarious. Like people are, you know, it's a good way for people to be talking about what they're making. So when they did the White Album on the on that song, Glass Onion, he actually has a line in the song where he said, well, I have another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. That's right. That's right. The walrus, <laughs> the walrus was Paul, which... Which is like, what does that mean? But I'm sure other pe- people were like, they they found some meaning in it. Well, this is after I Am the Walrus was a single for them, too. And there was like clues all during that time, too. And, you know, I Am the Walrus, the only one of them wearing a black walrus costume was Paul McCartney. So it must have and, and, and the rest were white. So he was the he was the one that was dead. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Now, you might you might be able to inform this, but isn't there something with I Buried Paul? Yeah, that's actually um, at the end of Strawberry Fields. And if you listen to the recording on the anthologies where you can just hear his voice, you realize what he's actually saying is cranberry sauce. And he's saying it in a really weird voice. But when you hear it mixed (laughs) with the music, it sounds like, I buried Paul. I buried Paul. (laughs) I mean, people were looking for a reason for all of this. It really runs deep. When I was on vacation uh, a few days ago, I, I brought that Beatles uh, re- complete recording sessions that you bought for me. Yeah. And one of the things they said was that Lennon could not do a straight count in. He was always goofing off, making weird faces, weird, weird count ins, like w- just, just bizarre things. So uh, it makes sense that some of something that he might have said at some point would have been like, oh, he's, he's saying something I buried Paul. Cranberry sauce does sound a little bit like I buried Paul. Not a lot, and I know the recording you're you're talking about. It's clear, it's clear on the anthology, and it makes yeah. me wonder if they turned it up just to make, just to shut people up. It, it it really is probably true, and you know one of the other things you made me think of about John Lennon too is he actually then used this Paul is dead thing to attack Paul later. Did you know this? No, I don't. Uh, inform me on this. I'm not aware of this. When he put out his solo record and the the one that has that song uh, "How Do You Sleep," I think this is on. Oh the, yeah, that's that, yeah. He hates on Paul in that song. Oh, he really does. So this is after they broke up, and he actually says, "Those freaks was right when they said you was dead." Oh my God! Yeah, you're right. I totally forgot that line. It makes sense now. 
Yeah, I mean, just searing. Like he, that dude was <laughs> angry. <laughs> he was a mad guy at that. At least at that point, he was really angry, and he just like took it out on whatever he felt like. That's pretty wild. Wow. Well, I guess I'm gonna end the show on on my. Uh, I've got some more death rumors here. Um, of course, the the most popular one is that Elvis is still alive. Now I looked for the reasons why that they thought Elvis was still alive in the proof. There's no real proof. I think there were there was a couple things where Priscilla Presley misspoke in an interview and said something like, I told Elvis this. And she's like, wait a minute. Like she I forget exactly what it was, but she misspoke in an interview and it made it sound like Elvis was still alive. But there there's no real evidence. I think people just want him to be alive. And I do like the fact that maybe the king is still out there somewhere. I think he'd be in his eighties now. I like I like I like to think that Elvis is still out there. But the one that really gets me is Jim Morrison. There's a lot more conspiracy theories with Jim Morrison. Okay. Of course, Jim Morrison being the controversial singer of the doors, very talented, but very strange. They found him in a bathtub in Paris. He went to France to kind of like get away from fame and all of his legal troubles in the U S there's a theory that he died in, in a, in a bathroom and they drug him to the bathtub and threw him in. But I guess the the motivation for him for him staging his own death was that he was tired of his fame and he wanted to, he wanted to outrun fame and just kind of disappear. I mean, that sounds like that could be something that Jim Morrison was one. It makes it you know it makes me think of the theories surrounding like Andy Kaufman that he might still be alive and he was tired of being famous and you know Jim Morrison was that poet type of dude. I could see that you know bleeding bleeding heart kind of performer not wanting to be famous anymore. Right. Well, here's the thing that there's some really weird things here. Okay. Okay. Allegedly, uh, there was a news blackout in Paris lasting three days and they did not report his death until after the funeral. That's kind of odd. The The theory is, is that I guess he was dead and they didn't want it to get out or that they were giving him, giving him a head start to run out. You know, they were, and they apparently his parents and in-laws were prevented from seeing the corpse, which is also kind of weird. Whoa. That's basically it was that nobody, hardly anybody saw the body and there was a complete media blackout for three days. I mean, I have a hard time thinking that Jim Morrison's death or alleged death would warrant a complete media blackout, but there, it is curious to me that the guy was on the run kind of from his past and he, he died allegedly i don't know i i think he i think he's dead personally but i would give more credit credence to this theory that he wanted to disappear than elvis i don't think elvis could disappear elvis was so recognizable at that point jim morrison was fat he had a huge beard i could see jim morrison just disappearing in the woods i don't think elvis could ever disappear yeah well i mean and you can go to both of these guys graves i mean at least there there is that i mean elvis is buried at, at graceland right and uh yeah. and Jim Jim Morrison's grave in Paris is like they're having to like pass legislation to protect that site now because so many people are going to visit it. Like Well, they're vandalizing it. That's crazy. It would be it would be insane if Jim Morrison was still alive. I really don't think so. But once again, if he if he could have pulled that off, how awesome would that have been? I I personally think his substance abuse got him, and that's kind of the the standard line. Yeah. But I guess what the conspiracy theory would be is that he faked the whole thing that he was actually on the, that he was actually i guess got a body double and maybe they buried an empty coffin and it's it's so tragic too because i mean 
crazy circumstances surrounding drugs and alcohol and crazy partying, partying things, as much fun as that stuff is, is like there's a lot of stories of our, of, you know, stars from the sixties and seventies and eighties and really into, like still now um, that's been happening, but there was a whole rash of people during that time period that, you know, that's, they partied too hard and it, and it took them out, you know, whether it was Jimmy the 27 or, club. Well, that's the thing that I was going to bring up. Like we've actually been, um, touching on another one of those rock conspiracies and or at least at least one of those crazy oddities um with through this whole show without even really acknowledging it and that is the 27 club which is the idea that there's all of these artists um uh actors writers all kinds of people that have died at 27 years old um at the height of their fame and it's kind of this weird oddity now this this thing can be this pattern can be applied to other age groups as well but listen how many, like, I just pulled a few of them out of here, just iconic people that died within, you know, a couple decades or less of each other. It had a very big impact on the culture of the time. Robert Johnson was one of them. There we go. Yet yeah, that's because he died in 1938. Yep. You're, you're yep. right. Crazy. He was, he was 27 years old. So was Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison. <laughs> those are some huge mega icons of the sixties, right? Those guys. Um, and then, then you also have guys like Pete Ham, who was um, the lead singer for Badfinger, going back to ties with the Beatles, you know, Paul McCartney produced uh, stuff for them on their first uh, album. Uh, Chris Bell from big star and uh, Amy Winehouse. She's part of that. Uh, Otis Redding was another one. I mean, it's hard to believe that Otis Redding, I didn't realize he was only, 27 when he passed because he has such a huge impact on culture and of course the one from the 90s that you know um really shook that time period was kurt cobain like he was in that same oh my age. god yeah that that was a big deal i i think people forget how big i mean if you weren't if you weren't like of age in the 90s it was a big deal i remember it being on mtv i wasn't even allowed to watch mtv but i i snuck and watched it it was on cnn it was everywhere. Kurt Cobain dying was, it was a, I mean, I think the record industry really suffered for a while because no, who's going to be the next Kurt Cobain? I mean, they tried, they couldn't find another one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. And, you know, it's kind of that same, like, like you can kind of understand maybe the paranoia um, that, or like the, the, just the extreme grief of, of missing people and, and hoping that their art was still being made from whether it's, you know, worried that Paul is dead or Elvis is still alive. And, you know, that's an interesting thing that all of this, but you can't deny that, you know, all these people have had a huge impact on the way um, that people consume and, and, and really even more than consume music, but really like participate in the listening experience of that stuff. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. It's just like, well, Hmm, that's odd. Right. Well, some people were so legendary in life, it's hard to imagine them not being here. I think of Janis Joplin and Hendrix and Morris right. and, and Brian Jones and, I mean, even, even Amy Winehouse. I know she's not quite in the same category, but she was an amazing singer. It's hard. I've got her album on vinyl, Back to Black. It's just hard to believe that that, that voice is not around anymore. I mean, it's there's this belief in rock and roll immortality or this hope of rock and roll immortality. And I really feel like um, there's some, there's some people out there, some artists out there that would probably not think it all that bad to die at 27 and, and be an icon for the rest of 
uh, hit known history and at least musical history. Well, I'd say that that's that's definitely the uh, the the fuel for these legends. Really, like we'll have to dig into some more on a, on another show at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's you know you know what's amazing is that Ozzy Osbourne is still here, and and all these other people aren't. You know what I'm saying? That's the crazy thing. It's Ozzy Osbourne has actively tried to kill his brain with chemicals for what is he? He's seventy now, so let's just. Let's just say 55 years he's been trying to kill his brain with chemicals. Or uh, Yeah, he's still here. I mean, he's got Parkinson's now. I mean, uh, so maybe it did get to him eventually. But once again, the guy's a survivor. And if if nothing else, I know not, not everybody's an Ozzy Osbourne fan. I, I happen to be, but. Well, I mean, you and you have to toss out the, uh, since we talked about it, the the kind of the opposite of that of Paul McCartney, like still sticking around and becoming like a statesman of, of rock and roll and being an activist for uh, being a vegetarian. And um, just, you know, it's, it's pretty wild that he's still out there and, and making new music. I mean, his last record is actually really cool. I mean, there's some really great tracks on that. But Sam, is that really Paul? <laughs> it might not be. That could be William uh Campbell Shears shortened to Billy Shears or William Shears Campbell one of those two but you know on Sgt Pepper when the when they introduce Billy Shears before uh uh with a little help from my friends they were saying look it's not Paul and on that note we shall end the show for two tape decks and a mixing board my moniker slash name is J Mac and I'm Sam Wade saying until next week Stay Cosmic. Cosmic.